You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Let me invite you to turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 as we continue uh, our time of worship in the Word this morning. We've been in Acts for a number of weeks. If you have been with us on Sunday mornings or joining us via our live stream, you'll know that we've been looking at various characteristics of the early church um, and those characteristics being universal characteristics that should be a part of every church. And what has happened is a positive thing out of all of this pandemic and everything that's happening around us is it's caused the church to simply evaluate what it is that God has called us to and who he's called us to be. And so as a result of that, uh, we've been in Acts looking back at the basics and trying to get at what God has called us to do and to be. Uh, but today, on this 4th of July weekend, I feel particularly moved by the Holy Spirit to deal with uh, the subject of freedom. Now, I don't usually follow the national calendar uh, when it comes to preaching or teaching or devotional life. In fact, uh, if you've been with us for any time, you'll realize that even this year, Mother's Day and Father's Day, we continued in our study of Acts. I think that sometimes going by the national calendar in preaching and teaching can become routine and can be overdone if we're not careful. And yet this morning, uh, I feel particularly led to address this subject of freedom and for two primary reasons. And if you have been following our prayer time during the week, you will have already heard these, but at the risk of repeating them, and because I think that they're important, let me just mention to you those reasons why freedom is on my heart this morning. Last Sunday, we dealt with the subject of serving. Serving is a key characteristic as a part of the church. We have got to be about the business of serving as God's people. And within that, we saw that the underpinning for serving is this concept of the bondservant. That we, though we are free in Christ, we have now become enslaved to Christ because we've discovered that life without Jesus is far worse than life with Jesus. And now that he's saved us, we, we make the, the choice to spend our lives living for him, enslaved to him. This is the picture of the bondservant in ancient times. And so there is, in a sense, even within this concept of spiritual freedom, there is a concept still of slavery. We are not autonomous, self-governing. We're not completely free in every sense of the word. 
And so it leads us to address this concept of freedom and to discover what freedom in its essence is really all about. So that would be the first reason what we saw in the text last week. But even as I think about our culture, there is a second reason, and that is that freedom seems to be the subject on everyone's mind. It seems to be the subject of every Facebook post. It seems to be the subject of every conversation that we're having. Specifically, what does freedom look like politically or culturally or civilly? And so with all of the shutting down of everything, we ask this question more and more. What does the government have and not have the right to do? With all of these race wars and rioting and oppression, it seems, what is the right response from a freedom standpoint? What does justice look like in those circumstances? So what does freedom really look like in a political, civil arena is the question that is on many minds and many hearts. So there's no way for us to unpack all of that this morning or even in three different texts as we looked at yesterday, today and then today during our prayer time to do a to do justice to a full and robust biblical understanding of what freedom is all about. As I mentioned yesterday, we're going to look at three particular texts. We looked at one yesterday. We're going to look at John chapter 8 this morning. And then this afternoon, we'll look at another one during our prayer time online. And in doing all of this, what I want you to see is just the essence of what freedom really is. Namely, spiritual freedom but what we see from Scripture is that all other, free, all other concepts of freedom derive themselves from what the Bible teaches. So, John chapter 8, if you have found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. So we begin in verse 31 together. The Bible says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you abide in My Word... You are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that you would give clarity to this passage, that you would help us to see in its context exactly what is going on here. I pray that the image that we see, God, would become as if it were painted in our minds, as if we were there in that very moment and that we feel the weight of what Jesus is saying amidst the culture in which he's saying it. And and I pray, God, that you would help us by your spirit to see 
the lines that can be clearly drawn from that culture to now our culture. And that, Lord, you would convict our hearts of what true freedom really is. That you would remind us of believers of the freedom that you purchased at the cross and that you would help us to live within that freedom. You would be honored by our lives because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom in each and every one of us. Father, you've placed your Holy Spirit. Those of us who've believed the gospel, we know you and you lead us. So help us to live in the freedom that you've provided through the cross. And Lord, I pray for those that are listening this morning via live stream or for someone here sitting in this place who has never trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I pray that today they would be set free from the bondage of sin that holds them in its grip and that they would be saved. That you would receive glory and honor through their new birth. And that today, God, they would worship you in spirit and in truth. Because you are worthy. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. What does it really mean to be free? I don't know if you've ever thought about the question. But we talk about freedom a lot in our country, don't we? We fight for it, we teach it, we legislate it, but what does it really mean to be free? We call it an unalienable right endowed to us by our Creator. That Creator is the God of the Bible, by the way. Can I just make that clear to you this morning? That everything that we have been given has been given to us by God and it's not some some concept of God. It's not some cosmic power in the universe that nobody knows what it is. It's not some God of any other religion. It is the God, the one and only true God, the God of the Bible. And yes, that God has granted to us an unalienable right of freedom. That creator, some today would attempt to define this, this freedom that he's given us apart from him. In fact, many in our culture would rather have freedom as a social construct or humanitarian concept. Not only does that worldview collapse in and on itself very quickly, it ultimately eliminates any ability to have any real authoritative concept of freedom at all. And it eliminates God from the equation. You see, if we're going to, if we're going to understand freedom endowed to us by our Creator, then we must define that freedom according to the authority of God and His Word. If we're going to call freedom an unalienable right endowed to us by our Creator, and I believe, by the way, that it is, then the Creator must be consulted in our definition of what freedom is. It's amazing to me how our society has often claimed God to be the source of something that we love, but we reject Him as the authority over that thing. It's tragic, really. And it's an offense to a holy God. 
We must define and understand freedom the way the Bible defines and understand freedom, not as a social construct or even a political construct. As Christians, we cannot and must not assume that freedom is defined by our culture or by the Constitution. We must ultimately believe and hold to the reality that the Bible is the supreme authority on which freedom stands. And we must embrace the Bible as the ultimate authority in how to live out that freedom in our lives. So back to the question, what does it really mean to be free? It was time in Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacles. Or called the Feast of Booths, if you like. There's several names that it's been referred to. But it was the Feast of the Tabernacles. It was a time where all Jews would come together. It was called the Feast of the Ingathering. Because everyone would come. And as they came, it was this joyous time where they would remember. Listen very carefully. Where they would remember the day that God delivered them from bondage to slavery in Egypt. That is incredibly significant, both to our understanding of the passage and our application of it in our lives. It was, in effect, an Independence Day for Israel. It was the time where they celebrated their July 4th. Except for them, it wasn't just one day. For them, it lasted an entire seven days. And it was, in fact... The reason why Jesus had come to Jerusalem. The Jews still celebrate this today. If you were to turn back to John chapter 5, you'll see the beginning really of this part of the narrative. Where Jesus, in John chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So Jesus is going in for this feast, and we find out later that it is the feast of the tabernacles that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for. And he's kind of in and out of Jerusalem during this seven days, spending some time in Galilee on one side and the other side of the sea in ministry. And all the while, Jesus has come in to celebrate this freedom that Israel has been celebrating for really over a thousand years. And during the time, there is a very interesting tension that is held there. The tension is between what John emphasizes as the Jews and the Gentiles and their reception of Jesus, typified really in the Pharisees. Jesus is having a a time of ministry with the Gentiles, and it seems like at every moment the Pharisees creep in to call Jesus into question on the things that he's teaching to catch him in some sort of a discrepancy, to find some way that they could stop him, arrest him, and even destroy him. These Pharisees in Jerusalem were keepers of the law. Now don't miss this. They were keepers of the law, but what they had done is they had added to the law and defined the law according to their own standards And they were now holding people accountable to that law, even Jesus. 
So what we pick up on, if you began in chapter 5 and walk through, you pick up on them holding Jesus accountable and them and, and the, the various uh, crowds together uh, accountable for their actions according to their own version of the law, which, by the way, was originally God's law. Chapter 5, verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Here is this picture of Jesus healing a man from all of his lameness, all of his disease, his blindness. And they condemned Jesus for healing on the Sabbath and condemned the man for carrying his bed on the Sabbath. And you continue to read that all the way to getting to chapter 8. We get the same picture We get to this passage yet again, this conflict between the Pharisees, and it begins to rise to a climax when in verse 37 in our passage this morning, notice it. I know that you are the offspring or that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words, my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen from my father and you do what you have heard from your father. And what what Jesus does is he draws a distinction between the Pharisees and between his people. And he makes it crystal clear that the ones who are leading out in the law, the ones who are governing the feast and the celebration, the ones who are saying, hey, let's celebrate our spiritual freedom that we have in Christ are distinct or in God are distinctly different. From what Jesus is describing. And they do not even have the same father. Convicting words. And then in the midst of all of this. Jesus rises to give a sermon on freedom. So don't miss the irony here. Jerusalem was celebrating its Independence Day. Independence given by God. Given over a thousand years before in their history. And all the while, they're living in a day, a contemporary day of slavery to the law. And they didn't even see it. They were following a law of their own making. That God had not defined. They had twisted and formed to look more like their agenda. The things that they needed to accomplish. And in fact, more oppressive than the slavery in Egypt. And here they are. Not even realizing the kind of slavery that they're in. And celebrating freedom at the same time. And they, watch this, they spiritualized it. And they called it godly. They called it godly. And now Jesus says these words. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then notice they question purely on the grounds. Don't miss this purely on the grounds of their national heritage. They question what Jesus is saying. They miss their blind spot. 
They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free indeed, as if there was a way to not be free and yet feel like you're free. As if there's two different worlds, a a distinction, a line in the sand between true freedom and false freedom. And so I ask you the question again, what really is freedom? The lines between that culture and our culture are so incredibly clear. We, like the Jews, have said we live in America. That is our heritage. We have never been enslaved to anyone. We could never be enslaved to anyone. Freedom will always be in our streets. Freedom will always be in the colors of our flag. Freedom will always be in the soldiers who fought for freedom in our country. Freedom will always be in our songs. And can I posit to you this morning... That perhaps we have spiritualized something that we call freedom and yet we have distorted the biblical concept of what freedom really is. You see, we live in a nation that we have taken the freedoms that we have politically and we have applied them to our own agenda morally. Can I say that to you again? We've taken our political freedom and we've made it our moral freedom to do whatever we want to do. And what we have now realized is that we've landed in an amount of slavery that is far worse than being enslaved to any nation in the world. We're enslaved to our own sinfulness. And friends, we need freedom. Real freedom rooted in the Bible. And what Jesus is saying is that true freedom, true freedom can only be found in the gospel. That's what he's saying to these Jews who have who have said, I, I follow the law, I do everything that I'm supposed to do. Sure, I've made it to fit my own agenda, but... What Jesus is saying is, if you believe in me, if you follow me, only I, the Son, can set you free so that you have not just some semblance of freedom, but now real freedom found only in me. Only the Son can set you free indeed. American born people can only be set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. He points out the irony of the moment, their celebration of freedom, their Independence Day, all the while living in actual slavery. And he calls them to an account. He calls them to be his disciples, to follow him. He says, he says in verse 31, if you abide in me, you're truly my disciples with the expectation that they would turn and follow him. And so can I ask you a question? Is it possible this morning that you have bought into a freedom that is that is freedom minus Christ? That is freedom that only 
knows the American dream? And is it possible that you need to find true freedom in Jesus this morning? There are at least two reasons in the passage. And we could parse this out probably even thicker. But I want you to see two reasons in the passage this morning that freedom can only be found. True freedom can only be found in Christ. Reason number one. Sin enslaves all people. Sin enslaves all people. If we're ever going to understand what it means to be free, we must first understand what it means to be bound. To be slaves. And Jesus says to these people, In the midst of their celebration of freedom, he says, you're not free at all. You can you can give this celebration, but it's only an empty shell to what is reality. Jesus says, can I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the Bible teaches that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Did you know that? There's not a single one of us who is without sin. You you measure your own life and you look at all of your works, everything that you've ever done, and you begin to compare it like a mirror to God's word. And what you'll find very quickly is that you've not just made a few small mistakes in your life, but that you are actually... You're actually a sinner bound for an eternal hell, separated from a holy God. This is the nature of our lives, the nature of man. We're sinners from birth. Jesus, Jesus compared in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus compared all of the different things that God's word says. And, and at every moment there was an answer, right? I didn't do that. So, for example, he uses the subject of murder and he says that if you've ever anger, if you've ever been angry with someone, that you've committed murder in your heart already. It's this idea that that murder is not just about the outward expression. It is about the inward heart. And it begins with hatred toward our brother and sister. Think about all of the racism in our country. Think about think about all of the 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 relationships that you have that have gone sour. Maybe there's been hatred in your heart toward another person. And Jesus says it makes you guilty of murder. He goes on, deals with the issue of adultery. And he says, if you've ever committed lust. That you are already guilty of adultery. And the list goes on and on and on. We could take every sin in God's word and every one of every one of those things. We would be considered guilty. The law renders us guilty. It's the only thing that the law can do apart from Christ is to show us our guilt. In fact, this is why Galatians says that the law is our tutor to bring us to Christ. We are guilty in our sin. And not only are we guilty, Jesus says in our sin, we're slaves to it. We're slaves, helpless, bound, in chains to our sin. We can do nothing else. And he says the slave does not remain in the house forever. You know, anything about slavery 
In general, slaves are not like sons. They don't they don't sit at the father's table and enjoy the father's presence. They don't they don't get the benefits of being a son, the inheritance and everything that comes along with it. Slaves have a lesser position and in this description, because we are slaves to sin, sin against a holy God, we are utterly outcast from his presence. And Jesus says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Slave. You see, we think in our lives that we can disobey God. We can do something, maybe it's not a big thing, but we can do what we want to do. And we're in control. Like, God, who are you to tell me what to do? I'm my own man. I'm my own person. I'm going to do what I want to do because this is my life and you can't tell me what to do with it. That same anti-authoritarian attitude is in the hearts of a lot of people when it comes to a lot of different divine, uh, divinely given institutions. Parents, government, come on, I'm preaching now. Parents, government, law enforcement, we have that kind of heart. This anti-authoritarian picture in our society And it all stems from the way that we have responded to God. And we think that by doing so, we gain the highest amount of freedom. Because we understand freedom to be self-autonomy. We understand freedom to to be self-determination. We're going to do what we want to do. And we don't even realize that in this so-called freedom, we are lost in our sin and slaves of it. And it's actually sin that is running our lives. In our sin, we are at least four things according to the Bible. In our sin, we are guilty. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life comes only by being given to us by God because in our nature we have a penalty that is due us. We are guilty. Every man stands guilty. Every woman stands guilty. Every child stands guilty. If you were to stand before God tonight and give an account of your life, Before the God of the universe, creator God, the one who gave you this right to freedom, it would only be to stand before him and receive a guilty verdict. And because of that sin guilt, we also are condemned. The verdict has already been given. John chapter 3, if we were to turn back there this morning, says that those who have not believed in the Son of God are condemned already. We stand condemned before God and we have no hope of offering him anything. You can't offer him him your works. You can't do enough to make up for all the things that you've done. There's not enough times coming to church. You can't pray enough. You can't trust him to provide for you enough. None of those things save you because you're condemned before a holy God. Not only are you condemned, if you're a slave, you're trapped. You're trapped. There's no way out. You can't dig your way out of this thing. Imagine sinking in quicksand and thinking that you can somehow climb your way out. But the more you try to climb your way out, the, deep, the deeper you actually sink in. This is what happens with our sin. Continue to sink deeper and deeper into our sinfulness. And we are enemies. 
The Bible teaches that when we are in our sin nature, we are at enmity with God. God's wrath abides on us, as he would say to the Pharisees. We do not have God as our father. We are actually his enemy. Notice that that's the first rebuttal they give, verse 33. But we're we're Abraham's children, right? I mean, that's got to count for something. Yeah, yeah, but we're born in America, and America's a Christian nation. That's got to count for something. It counts for nothing. Nothing before God. We are the offspring of Abraham, they say, and have never been enslaved to anyone. Oh, yes, you are. By nature, we are slaves to our sin. This gets really heated in verse 39. We didn't read this this morning, but follow along with me. They answered him, Abraham is our father. This is the Pharisees speaking now. Jesus said to them, if Abraham or rather, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. The Bible says that God or that he pleased God through his faith. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, who has told you the truth that I heard from God. That is not what Abraham This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We are we have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word and listen to what he says to them. You are of your father, the devil. You see, the reality is any human effort toward freedom minus God results in further slavery. Unless, unless something is done about our sin. And we could go on with example after example after example, both individually and corporately as a nation to how that is absolutely true. But I want to get to the good news this morning, because the best news of the passage is that the son sets free God's people. The son sets free God's people. Let's let's look at verse 36 and work our way out from there. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Can I get an amen church? If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There is something about freedom that must be freedom indeed. Not just freedom, not some semblance, not some empty shell of cultural freedom, but real spiritual freedom. And there's something about that that must be done by the Son. Do you see that? How he ties together. The sun sets you free. Then you are free indeed. In other words, the only way you experience free indeed, real freedom, is through the sun. There is something unique and distinct about what Jesus is able to do that cannot be found anywhere else. And what is it that the sun has done to set us free? For God so loved the world. That he gave his only son. 
that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Jesus, the only son by birth and by nature of the living God. Jesus gave his life for his enemies. (laughs) This is the gospel. All of us who are enemies of God and guilty and in sin's penalty and sin's grip, all of these things, we, we can be set free because the Son is setting us free by His cross. Jesus gives His life, sheds His blood, pays the penalty, the death, the wages of sin is death, the death that we deserve. Jesus dies in our place, receives on Himself the penalty that is due us, receives our sin guilt, receives the full wrath of a holy God, and you and I can be set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when the Son sets us free, we are absolutely free indeed. There's something about His being the Son. Jesus says that the slave does not remain in the house forever, but that the Son remains forever. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? In the culture, this image is so clear, right? This prodigal in Luke 14, this prodigal was was wanting his father's inheritance and he decided to rebel against the father and give me what's due me now. I'm going to go run my own life. You be your own person, I'll be my own person. I'm going to spend everything I got on my own pleasure. So the father gives him the inheritance. And what does the son do? He runs out and he spends his life Pursuing pleasure and winds up in the pig slop and the destruction of his ways. Friends, can I tell you that that's where it always ends? Sometimes soon, sometimes later, but it always ends there. And here's what happens. The son says, I'm going to go back to my father's house and I want to wait on tables. I'll just be one of his servants. I can just eat the crumbs. So I'm not going to die out here in my slop. But the servant doesn't sit at the father's table. The son sits at the father's table. And when the boy comes home, the father in grace and mercy pursues the son, wraps a robe around his shoulders, puts a ring on his finger, throws a banquet in his honor, and fellowships with his son and restores everything that he lost. You see, that's the gospel. Jesus says, a slave doesn't do that. A son does that. And we become sons and daughters of God through adoption. By believing in Jesus' name. Because the one son has done what, it was, requ- what was required so that we might sit at the Father's table. These are convicting words. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, verse 37, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. But those who believe, notice verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews, you who had believed him, if you abide in my word, they rejected his word. The Jews abide in his word. These ones who believed, he says, you are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, in the gospel, we become free. 
In the Gospel, we are freed from sin's guilt. Though we were guilty, though our sin was as, scar- was as scarlet, we are now white as snow. Our guilt is absolved. We're justified. So that God doesn't look at us and say, guilty sinner anymore. But He looks at us and says, say, says justified son. You're justified in the blood of Jesus. The guilt has been completely satisfied. In the gospel, we're set free from sin's guilt. We're also set free from sin's penalty. Oh, this is good. Because we face death, yes, but we will not face eternal death in hell. Those who know Christ are set free from sin's penalty. And like slaves in the gospel, we are set free from sin's grip. We're powerless to do anything, but when we come to faith in Christ, God's Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life and we're changed and we're now enabled to live righteously. We're no longer enslaved to our sin. We can now overcome temptation by the blood of the Lamb. We're set free from sin's grip and we're set free from sin's advocates. That certainly means Satan we have no, the enemy of our soul has no hold on us. Jesus said in John, those who are given to him can never be snatched away. <laughs> there is no enemy of the faith that has any hold on our lives. But I want you to hear this very clearly this morning. It also means that we have a freedom, even in our nation, or whatever nation we happen to be a part of. A freedom that is indestructible. Cannot be taken away. By anyone. And though we may not have political, civil, cultural freedom, we will always have spiritual freedom in Christ. And there is coming a day when every kingdom will fall. And the only kingdom that will remain is the kingdom of the living God. And His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus sits on that throne. So take heart, believer. That whatever freedom is taken from you, that you have been released from the greatest bondage you have ever known to experience the greatest freedom you could ever know. And it can only be found in Christ. So the only question that remains is will you be His disciple? Will you follow Jesus? Will you surrender your life to the truth of God's Word and His Gospel? Will you become a bondservant whenever your debt has been paid by Christ? You realize that He set you free only to serve Him because He's the greatest one you could ever know. And a life with Jesus is greater than any life you could find anywhere else. Will you become His bondservant? You see, there are people in bondage all around us in our community and in our nation that need this very message. And maybe even you this morning. Enslaved to your sin, need to be set free by Jesus. Would you bow your heads all across the room? I love the truth that Jesus can set anybody free. (laughs) Maybe you're sitting here this morning, there in your home, 
sitting here in this room and you're saying, you know, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm enslaved to. There's just no way out. I've tried every way under the sun. Yeah, but you haven't tried Jesus. So I've tried that. I've prayed. I've tried the whole church thing. I've tried the whole religion thing. I didn't ask you to try religion. I'm telling you to try Jesus. That actually means you give up on trying today and you surrender. You give your life to Him. Whatever happens, happens because He's in charge. He's sovereign. He's Lord. He's Savior. Today you give Him, you say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to be your disciple, Jesus. I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to follow you in everything you ask me to do. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you that you can do this thing better than I can and that your promises are true and that you're setting me free and that you'll forgive my sin and my life may not be healed tomorrow, but I will experience healing in your name for all of eternity and eternal life because you died for me and you rose again and today I'm going to give my life to you. It's yours anyway. You created me. And I can't know freedom anywhere else. So today I'm going to trust you. Just a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation. This altar is going to be open. We're going to stand in this room. Music's going to be playing. But you're going to be praying. You're going to be doing business with the Lord, talking to the Lord this morning. And I would encourage you right where you are to cry out to a holy God and ask Him to save you. And in just a few moments, whenever we stand, that you would come down this aisle and you'd say to me, Pastor, today I want to be saved. Will you help me? I need to be saved today. And I only have one hope. If you're listening there online, reach out to us on Facebook, post a comment, send a message. We want to help you because the gospel is good news. Would you stand with me all across the room? Stand with me this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd have your way in this place and in our hearts. God, we want to be obedient to you today. I pray for the lost that are here this morning or online. Give them Move them this morning to obedience, repentance from their sin and faith in Christ. And would you save their soul today? For those that need to be reminded of the freedom that we have in Christ, stir us and encourage us today and help us to trust in you more today. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as Stephanie begins to play, you come. This altar is open. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.